All right, it's good to be back with you after a couple weeks on a different continent. So um, still trying to adjust, especially after another weekend of uh, being away for a couple days uh, for business stuff. So it's definitely good to be back here. Um, go ahead and grab your Bibles. You can flip to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10 is where we'll be. We're going to look at uh, uh, Romans 10, 13 to 15. Romans 10, verse 13, these are the words of God. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? In whom they have not believed. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our gracious God, when we consider the grandeur of your created order, we find ourselves deeply humbled. The magnificence of the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of it speaks volumes about your creativity and your covenant. So in that we rejoice. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to contribute toward the advancement of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So tonight's message, the kingdom must advance, it's going to be a little different than normal. And that's because I simply want to share with you a lot of the great stuff uh, from my time in Zambia, but I want to do it in such a way as to both inform you so you know and hopefully encourage you as well. And on top of that, I want you to have a pulse on the larger movement of Christianity in the world, um, especially with regard to, to, to Africa. So from the inception of Cross and Crown nearly a year ago, we're almost to our first birthday. That seems kind of wild. <laughs> From the very beginning, um, we've really wanted to consider how we might play a role in the theater of God's larger world, um, and I think the Lord has been faithful to that desire. I know He has been faithful to that desire. And so this, this was undoubtedly the first among many future trips, and hopefully for some of you, too, to, um, as the Lord leads, get involved in, in going. Now, before we look at our passage and before I share some stories um, from my second time now in Africa, I, I want you to hear some statistics, all right? So I'm going to start with some statistics. Some of these stats are from different places, so if you want to know where I got them, you can ask me, I'll tell you. Um, they seemed quite reputable, but I will say this, if they are wrong, I hereby release myself from incurring any guilt concerning the veracity of their contents, so it just is what it is. Don't shoot the messenger sort of thing. So listen to these statistics. The annual income of all church members across the globe is estimated to be $30.5 trillion. The annual income of evangelical Christians, so we have to sort of nuance that a little bit, is approximately $6.72 trillion, just to give you an idea. So out of those figures... $545 billion, that's 1.8% of the income, 
$145 billion is given to Christian causes. So it's sort of a larger category, Christian causes. You think of you know, hurricane relief and Samaritan's Purse and things like that that aren't necessarily missions in the t- traditional understanding, but they are Christian causes. And you should also know that Americans spend that much money on Christmas every year. $545 billion. So money given to missions explicitly to missions, is $31 billion. That is 0.1% of the income that was mentioned earlier. So that 0.1% of the 30.5, or the 6.2, excuse me, $6.72 trillion of evangelical Christians. For larger Christian causes, that's that's 5.7% of the money. So that, that number, $31 billion, is what America spends on dieting programs every year, too. Just to give you an idea. Now, this is where it gets interest, interesting. And I, I've, I've read some of these different books in the past. Um, definitely recommend When Helping Hurts and some of those books on missions, some of the recent ones. There's one about cultural intelligence, but I could not remember the author or the name. Um, but I'll have to di- – I think David Livermore, maybe that. Maybe that sounds right. Um, but there's a lot of stats out there. Think about this. Regarding the money that is spent on what is considered the reached part of the world, we're not talking about unreached people groups, but the reached part of the world, the money that is spent, $27 billion is given. So if you're doing math, and this is making some sense, hopefully, 87% of money given to missions goes towards missions to people who have already received the gospel message. 87%. So I'm not saying that's inherently bad. I mean, that's what we did, essentially. Um, but that's just, the, those are the facts. $310 million goes to unreached people groups. So out of the money that's given towards missions, generally speaking, we're talking about uh, 1% is given to the unreached. So that $310 million, to give you an idea of Americans, that's how much was spent in 2011 on Halloween costumes for pets. The $310 million that goes towards reaching the unreached is 0.001% of the $30.5 trillion that Christians earn. So to to put that in perspective, for every $100,000 that Christians earn, $1 goes towards unreached people groups. So to put it even in more perspective, out of the near, there's about 6,900 people groups, unreached people groups in the world. So out of of that near 7,000, evangelicals could provide the funds necessary to plant a church in every single group with only 0.03% of their income. So, as one website put it, and I agree, the church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. Astounding, isn't it? We have the resources. But part of the problem is, is we are so busy building more buildings, wasting all this tax dollars on nonsense, like public school systems and so forth, we are, we are throwing money out the window. This is just Christians, mind you. We are throwing money out the window for nothing when we could actually reach the unreached. So those are the stats.
Now, I bring this up because one, I want us to have a handle on this stuff. So we must know it and we must keep it in our minds at all times. And two, without a doubt, as very much self-consciously post-millennial in our views, this problem is ours to rectify. So it belongs to the church. The church's job is to deal with this and deal with it in a way that's consistent with God's word. So if we say, if we say that, if we say about the, you know, the advancement of the gospel, that's true. If, we, if what we say about the growing nature of the kingdom of God, that that's a true thing. If what we believe is that God intends for his glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, if it's true that at some point in history, the prophecy will be true that no one will have to teach his neighbor, you know, know the Lord because all will know Christ. If it's true from Isaiah chapter 2 that was read earlier, that the nations are going to stream into Mount Zion, which is the church, to learn the law of God, they're not going to learn war anymore. If all of that is true, and all of it is true, because that's what we believe as post-millennialists, then we have to consider the state of missions in the world and not just consider it, we have to do something about it. Now, I, I, chose, I chose the title I did for this message because of our beloved brother, Pastor Ron Kranz. He sent those words to me um, via text right before I took flight to go over to Africa. And he had been in the Congo for a few weeks before that doing some ministry. Congo's a very different ballgame, but he was doing some stuff there. And uh, he gave a report. He was sort of giving me a report of what, what he had been doing. And at the end of his message, he said, the kingdom must advance. Now those words, hopefully they strike a chord with you. They struck me deeply. And those words recalled in my mind dozens of Bible verses, because you think about the nature of the kingdom and its advancement in the world. And one of those is Romans 10 right here. So let's look at that text again. Romans 10 verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So here's my, my thesis before we get into some other stuff. <clears throat> it's very simple. The very nature of the gospel message is one of advancement. The very nature of the gospel message, the nature of the gospel message is one of advancement. That's just what it is. Since we believe that it's the gospel of the kingdom of God, we use those words interchangeably. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And since Jesus taught us in many places, like the parables and so on, that the, the, the growing nature of this kingdom, the mustard seed, the leaven, all these parables, we therefore conclude that the gospel must advance. It must advance because the kingdom does advance. The gospel message must advance because the kingdom does advance. That's the process. <clears throat> so they're, they are, they're the same thing. Now, while many people, many people say gospel, and what they usually mean is this formula for personal salvation. That's your run-of-the-mill evangelical. That's what, what is gospel? You may run into somebody who's been hiding in a cave, and when they hear the word gospel, they think gospel, you know, southern gospel music, you know, the quartet sort of stuff. I've met those people. <laughs> what do you think of when you hear the word gospel? Quartet, gospel music, right? 
No, that's wrong, but I appreciate if you like that genre. <clears throat> but this sort of view is this get out of jail free card. But that's, we know that, that's not how the New Testament views the gospel. Jesus, from in Mark chapter 1, the very first words out of his mouth, he relates the gospel to the kingdom of God. That's the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He tells us right what it is. And yet most evangelical churchgoers, they can't even tell you what it is. What's the gospel? I'm a good person. Jesus came to save me so I don't have to go to hell. That's it. They don't even have biblical categories because they're not being taught the Bible. So that's a whole different issue. Now, Jesus didn't liken the growth of the kingdom in history to like a Chia pet. Anybody ever had a Chia pet? Are they even still a thing? Yeah, some of you young little kiddos won't know what that is. A chia pet, you just pour a little water in, you know, it grows just a bit. Um, but know that the chia pet, there's a limit to its growth. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not the nature of the kingdom of God. Built into the very fabric of the gospel is a propensity towards growth. This is economic multiplication. That's what the kingdom does. It's not just, you know, addition here, subtraction here. It is full-on multiplication, reproduction. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is not static. It's not static. It's, it's always on the move. It's always spilling out over the edges. It's always growing and moving and working at all times and in all spaces and places. So it must advance because of what it is. So know that. Because, again, your average evangelical Christian thinks that the gospel is just sort of this thing I choose to believe, and it has zero influence in the world around you. It doesn't touch on psychology. It doesn't touch on history. It doesn't touch on anything, because it's sort of just this abstract concept that's out there floating in, you know, uh, immaterial world. But it's not. It is not static. It is moving. It has, because of what it is, it moves, it advances. And yet this, this view of stagnation and frustration is what usually is put out there. You know, sure, we're going to win some souls here and there if we're lucky. You know, if only we could be like the Mormons and just have so much zeal. So we sort of feel guilty about it, but we don't do anything about it. We just feel guilty for a few minutes and then we go and enjoy our dinner or whatever. So, you know... So we're not going to see growth. You know, overall, it's just sort of going to be stagnant. That's the prevailing notion in America. It's the prevailing notion in Africa. Um, Ron, Reverend Ron, or Reverend Ronnie, as he was called in one place, he can give testimony and witness to this fact. It's a prevailing notion in America. It's a prevailing notion in Africa, too. This idea that the gospel is stagnant, it doesn't move. Now regarding our passage, real quick, just a couple observations. So we know from our text in verse 13 that whoever does call on the name of the Lord, beautiful verse, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, the Hebrew is actually will be delivered, but it's the same idea, will be delivered, will be saved. Um, Paul gives us in this text the missionary impulse when he asks the obvious question. These uh, Paul loves to ask rhetorical questions. He does it here. How, how can they all, on, how, can they, how can they believe? How, how is this even possible? How can they call on him? How can anyone call on the Lord? We're told that they can, 
and that they'll be saved. Well, how can anybody do that if they haven't even believed? And then he digs further. Well, how can they believe in him if they haven't even heard in him? Then he takes another level. And, And not only that, how can they hear without someone telling them or preaching to them? How is that even possible? And then he takes it one step further. How will anyone preach unless they are sent to preach, unless they go? How is that even possible? A couple quick things. One, verse 13 is a quote from Joel 2. Joel 2 is all about the gospel era. That's what it is. That's what Peter tells us even in the book of Acts. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the judgment of God on all the nations. It's the establishment of Christ's ever-advancing kingdom. That's what Joel prophesies, and that's what's happening and now and in the early church. So it's not a mere personal transaction. This is a worldwide conquest that Joel has in mind. Paul is pulling from a verse that has massive worldwide implications. The, the missionary impulse of the gospel is not that we just snatch a few people from the flames. The impulse is much larger. It's much more robust. It's much more full. So it's not weak. It's strong. The impulse of the missionary impulse that Paul tells us here in this text is nothing short than the redemption of the world. We have got to get over this idea that redemption is just sort of me and Jesus. This is a worldwide operation. So, yes, we're saved by grace. That's true. No one that that's we're not worried about that. That's that's the gospel. We're saved by grace. We're brought into his kingdom. We know that there there is this faith that we have that sort of it manifests itself in righteousness, right? This imputed righteousness that's given to the redeemed by the Redeemer. So this, this saved people of God, they, they manifest their law-loving, law-obeying righteousness now in all areas of life because God's sanctifying grace is the controlling factor of their life. That's what compels all of us which means that inherent within the gospel of Jesus Christ is the advancement of the gospel. That's what it is. So it's not a bug, it's a feature. (laughs) So the kingdom must advance. It has to advance. It can only advance. It knows nothing else. The kingdom of God does not know of taking a time out from the world. It does not have that sort of thing. It's always advancing. Now, having said all that, and obviously more could be said, I I do want to share... Some, some stuff from the trip, tie in some observations and sort of go from there. So the purpose of our, <clears throat> of our trip was basically there were five main areas. The first was we put on a school of ministry that lasted six days. That's what it was called, a leadership training, a school of ministry. And that was done in two different churches, pretty much running simultaneously. One started a little bit earlier than the other, but we were in two different locations, probably a good 20 to 30 minutes apart, roughly. So that was one of the main areas. The second one was radio and television interviews. So one of the pastors that we worked with there, Bishop Malenga, he has some great connections. In fact, he's the nephew of the previous president. So he's in, he knows some people. Um, but uh, so we, we wanted to not just advertise about the conference, we wanted to be able to proclaim this all of Christ for all of life message. So the opportunities were there. That was cool. Third thing, I'm going to explain more about those in a minute. But the third thing was mercy ministry. So in partnership with um, Bishop of Souls, 
That's part of Reverend Ron's ministry. We were able to, to serve widows and orphans. We provided some breakfast <clears throat> meals and some cooking oil for them, which was, which was amazing. Uh, fourth thing, biblical counseling. Now, there were many young pastors that came to this. There were even some older ones. In fact, I remember one. I, I have his info. We're going to keep in touch. Uh, he sat in the front, and he was just eager. It was really awesome. Um, so a lot of them had sought some advice on some various issues and so on. So that was a tremendous influence uh, or an opportunity for influence. A lot of it was one-on-one, honestly, afterwards, before, just chatting together. And, and that was really awesome. Um, fifth thing, relationship building. One of the key purposes of the mission uh, was this last point. We wanted to develop and strengthen any relationships we could have to sort of lay the foundation for future opportunities. That's essentially what one of the goals was. Um, And that was a huge success. So I'll share more about that in a minute. So the first thing, the school of ministry. So I I arrived to Lusaka, that's the capital of Zambia, on a Thursday evening, left on Wednesday. I feel like I, maybe it was Friday. I don't even remember now, truthfully. I feel like you skip a day. You kind of do. So we spent basically Friday and Saturday just trying to get some things in order, trying to recover from jet lag. Uh, that was odd. didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. Um, but we did some shopping locally, and we tried our best to basically rest because the whole week was going to be jam-packed, and we wanted it to be successful, and we wanted to be at our best. So we, we took some naps and tried to, tried to do that. On the first Sunday, our team basically preached at four different churches, uh, Ron preached at the university that day, and then he preached at another church. Uh, Monday was kind of cool. It was a holiday for, for, the, for the nation. And so we actually ran a morning session. Uh, we did a two, to two or three hour session in the morning. I was at that one. And the other church's session was in the evening. And so basically at each church, all of them were in the evening except Monday because it was a holiday. But we did two or three hours of teaching and question and answer pretty much every night. So each church had about 40 or 50 people in attendance, which was really neat. Some were pastors, some uh, businessmen. I remember one gentleman who I've kept in touch with since. Uh, Others were church workers and so on. The school was basically Monday through Friday. Saturday, we had a graduation uh, ceremony. And so the theme actually was all authority. That was the theme. Last year, Ron uh, had, uh, there was only a couple of them that went, Ron and Charles, they did the Dominion Mandate, which is really awesome because many of them remembered that from even a year ago. And so this year we sort of built on that with the theme, All Authority. And so I taught on creational authority, kingdom authority, um, Christ teaching authority. I taught on counterfeit authority, which was a session that I thought re- went really well, um, and resurrection authority. So all those, all those lectures I'm going to try to get up this week, actually, on, on our website. Um, others took various angles on the topic. But we really worked hard to sort of drive home the point. You know, Jesus is Lord in every area of life, including civil government, because that's a big, you're treading water on that, more on that in a little bit, though. So the school, honestly, I felt like it was very much a success. About 100 students graduated. They received certificates, took lots of photos. Certificates are a big deal in Zambia and in Africa generally, but certificates are very important. Um, we also, thanks to Calcedon, gave over 100 books away, which hauling those over there and getting the weight limit, <laughs> that, that was a fun exercise. But thankfully, 
Martin Salbridi and the folks at Calcedon, they were generous. They've been generous to us, and they were generous again in getting us some really solid books over there, um, stuff on economics, anything really that Calcedon offers. They gave us a wide variety of stuff, and that was really awesome to be able to give them a certificate, shake their hand, give them a gift to somebody got the Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1, and I didn't find out who that was because I wanted to make sure it got into the right hands because <laughs> it's sort of weighty, literally and figuratively. Uh, the second aspect was, was the TV and radio interviews. Um, we worked with the local, what's called ZNBC uh, television. We did a uh, television there and a radio program. Uh, the, the radio reaches millions, like a ton of people. They, even out in the bush, on the countryside, they're listening to radio. And that got out there to a lot of people. The TV interview got out to a lot of people as well. Um, we, we also worked with another group, sort of a different TV station, if you will. We did an hour interview there too. And these were, it was kind of crazy. This was a tremendous platform to share how the kingdom must advance. And I really hope that and pray that many heard the message. I put one of them up on our YouTube channel, which you can see. We'll share that this week. Um, others will we'll try to get available soon. Um, and it sounds like, from what I could tell, Chola was our interviewer, very nice man, had an amazing testimony of his struggle with addictions and God saved him. And now he's sort of like a pastor at the TV station, which is kind of cool. Um, but he, he asked some great questions and we had some great conversation, I think provoked him some too. And it sounds like we'll be invited to do that again. So he's, so next time you're here, come on over. So that was really cool. Um, Third thing was the mercy ministry. So it's called Mealy Meal. Uh, I don't understand it, but again, Bishop of Souls had some funds. Some people had donated, so we were able to go and um, purchase a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of cooking oil. As far as I could tell, around 20-ish widows and then dozens of dozens of orphans that they take care of were all blessed um, in that opportunity. Uh, the last Sunday we were there, um, we all were preaching at the various churches again, and we were able to surprise them afterwards. And they had no idea, which was really cool, and gave the items to them. And, you know, just watching the humility sort of come out, and they were just so blessed. And I praise God for that. They, you know, they, they were grateful. I think, I think I was blessed more than them, which is kind of what the Bible teaches, I guess, about uh, being blessed to give than receive. Fourth thing was the, the counseling. Now, that title may be misleading, but it wasn't like a formal sit-down, as we tend to think. It was more of this conversational-type approach. Um, I, I personally spoke with probably dozens of pastors and you know, trying to encourage them in their ministry. They're encouraged by what we were teaching, and um, certainly uh, they benefited from the books as well. Zambia, as a culture, does not read a lot. So you don't... For me, I don't know, maybe it's just me and I'm a nerd, but I take a book almost everywhere I go because if there's just five minutes somewhere, I want, to, I want to try to read. That's not, I mean, maybe America's headed down that path, generally speaking, too, but um, books really aren't that exciting uh, in Zambia. But um, many of them are sort of wrapped in, these pastors are wrapped into the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it group. Uh, they don't have the comprehensive sort of exegetical teaching and preaching that seems to not one. In fact, one pastor said of what we were doing that this stuff doesn't happen in Zambia. So 
I don't know what to think of that. I thought that was interesting. I'm sure it does, but so that, that was good. Talking with ministry leaders and pastors. The fifth thing was the relationship building. Not only did we make connections at the TV and the radio place, um, we made connections with pastors. And what's really cool is we have made some connections with some leaders in the Zambian civil government. Um, <clears throat> lots of, it was almost overwhelming at one point because we didn't know. We just sort of met people. Oh, you guys are fairly important. <laughs> That's great. You know, I had no idea. They don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. Um, but we, we spent one afternoon at, at this Anglican church, huge Anglican church. It was built in the 60s. Seats like probably two or 3,000, and they have two services every Sunday. So they're like packed. But what they do is the chaplains of the various aspects of their government, so they have chaplains for police, what they call home affairs. They have all these different chaplains who they do have to have some training, but it's not sufficient in my estimation. Uh, and they, they are, they're in the thick of it with many of the people in the Zambian government, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so we got to meet with them, encourage them. We gave some books to them. And in fact, one of them, uh, we are looking at potentially next July doing sort of a conference for like 500 pastors and chaplains, which would be really cool. Uh, we didn't meet the president like I wanted to. We drove by the state house, they call it. They, they like the White House. So they always call it, it's our White House. It's our White House. And it's kind of funny. Um, heavily guarded, which is interesting. We did see the president at the showgrounds. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And saw him from a distance, which I thought was really cool. And we wanted to say, hey, don't you know who we are? You know, but that doesn't matter. <coughs> But as far as I know, he's a Christian man, God-fearing man. I don't know much about him. President Chungu is his name, but uh, certainly he needs to be prayed for. Uh, the, the showgrounds is like a county fair without rides. So I know you're immediately thinking, well, that doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> but they have vendors and food and animals, and it's, it's pretty much just like a county fair without rides. So think what you will. Anyhow, so these, these meetings and these connections, they just keep happening and clearly clearly the Lord was opening up doors and so between those connections and the connections at the university I think it's very clear that the Lord has has need for for us to be involved there I really do so hopefully next next year we'll be able to do that now having said all that just some stories uh, I want to give you what is usually left off with regard to typical missions reports you've been in churches You've seen short-term mission trips. You see what happens when they come back. Most of the time, I know I'm generalizing, so I'm already at risk, but most of the time, kids will come back from the short-term missions trip with two things. One, tons of pity, and two, tons of Instagram selfies with children. You know, all the, all the mosquito nuts, and these people, they just live in this such a terrible thing. They, they lack clean water. They have nothing. And, and we have, I have everything. You know, I'm selling everything this week. And on and on and on we go. You've heard it. You've, you know what I'm talking about. This is normal. That is what passes for normal missions trips. 
In fact, we were at one area and I saw a bunch of young, I don't know, they seemed like preteen, teen age. They would look actually really young, sort of waltzing around like they're taking a tour of the country with their same colored mission shirts. Um, so having said all that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something else. Most missions trips are a complete waste of time, money, and resources. Complete waste. That's a conversation we had over and over there. Charles is a missionary. He lives in South Africa. He's in all over the place. We talked about that for hours, it seemed like. Most missions trips are a waste of time, a waste of money, and a waste of resources. It's a fact. It just is. Most missions trips that, go, mission trips that Americans take they're just a waste. It's a waste. You're not helping anybody. In Africa, you can go and you can build a well for someone, and the people will be absolutely grateful. You'll build a well. This is fantastic. But what you don't know is that when you leave, the tribes will fight over it, and they'll kill each other over it. And you can go and you can give clothing. You ever seen the pictures of the, whoever lost the Super Bowl? Those shirts go to Africa. And we think we're helping. People are grateful. They have clothes. Fantastic. What happens when you leave? Guess what? The local clothing maker is put out of business. You just jack their economy. Congratulations. You're a fool. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, in Africa, you can go and take selfies with the kids. And guess what? They love it. They, are, they smile. So, uh, one of the churches afterwards, we went out there. And I'm this giant... Uh, white guy, which is hilarious because I'm tall, and so there's, they're already like, oh, this is fun, you know? And they know English, at least the older ones knew English a little better, and so I was teaching them some things they hadn't learned in school yet. They didn't know the word for sky, but, you know, they could say, how are you? And they're trained to say, I'm fine, how are you? You know, and for us, it's like, how are you? I'm good. You know, that, that means not much, but for them, they do want to engage in that conversation. And anyway, one of them, <laughs> Charles taking a picture, and one of the dudes like flashes the peace sign and smiles. It's just, so, it's just funny. But that's, you know, you can, you can go and you can do that stuff, and you can hand out vitamins, and you can take all the selfies that your little phone can store. But guess what happens when you leave? They have nothing but a memory of a white guy, a white American coming with an expensive iPhone. So th this is one of the reasons, these are the reasons, in large part, that most trips are an absolute waste of time. Um, they are inconsiderate wastes of time, by and large. And the other reason that I'll say that they're a waste of time is because of the very nature of the Great Commission itself. One of the things that we're supposed to do in the Great Commission is teach nations to obey the law of God. That's simply what Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28, verse 20. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, we don't, we, most Christians stop at that. Oh, that's, that's getting a little funny. You know, our job, we're just supposed to evangelize. That's it. So we stop. The discipling of nations, this process that fails to teach people how to obey the entirety of the Bible is nothing but a truncated, ineffective discipleship. That's what it is. And if a nation does not care to obey the law word of God in all areas, it's a nation that has not yet been discipled. Amen. It hasn't. It's just that simple. Now let me give you a little history before I run with this some more. In the mid-1600s, the Dutch Reformed, they are the ones that settled in South, 
South, America, uh, South Africa. Um, it wasn't until the 1700s, really, with the modern missionary movement that produced men like William Carey, David Livingston, um, Hudson Taylor, and some of those names. It wasn't until then. So think about this for a second. Sure, you had you know, St. Augustine, and all they lived in northern Africa during that time, during the early church. But Africa as a whole was nowhere, obviously, near the population it is today. And the gospel really didn't get to all of Africa really until the 1700s in the modern missionary movement. So listen, think about this carefully. Europe had the gospel for a long, long time. A long time. Africa has really only had the gospel 300 years. So this light bulb went off for me. We were meeting with a man named Grant. Grant, he has a, uh, we'll laugh at that because he said his name and we didn't understand. <laughs> Grant? He's like, Grant. <laughs> ah, he's from South Africa. And this guy is my, he's a hero. No one knows about this guy, but he's out in the bush ministering to people who don't know English. He's trying to work hard and he's doing some awesome stuff. Anyway, he was sort of, he came and visited one night and we were talking and he, he, he was sort of enlightening me on these things. And then I, you know, you put two and two together and you think, wow, that's so, that's so true. Europe and thus the West, they had the Reformation in the 16th century. That's what they had. I mean, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation literally built Western civilization. But the Southern Hemisphere of the world, especially Africa, hasn't had it, really. They haven't had it. So Africa really needs a major reformation, a second reformation. And the reason that it needs a second reformation is because, unfortunately, pay close attention to this, the Americans, the Americans have been giving Africa a very truncated gospel for several hundred years now. Let me, permit me a moment to explain what I mean. There are basically two main camps in the Protestant wing of Christianity in Africa. Two main spheres. I mean, obviously, there, you have Roman Catholics. You have, we've, um, some, some Muslims are in Lusaka. Some very impressive mosques, actually, sort of stick out because their architecture is done very well. Um, but the main wings of Protestantism, you basically have, on the one hand, you have charismatics, and we're talking hyper-charismatics, um, and then the other hand, you have dispensationalists. That's what you have. So we have this prosperity gospel on the one hand, and we have rapture fever on the other hand. That's what we have. That's what we're working with. And so th that's what I witnessed firsthand in Zambia. It was phenomenal. Both of these groups are unable to provide a coherent social order. They just can't do it. Their systems won't let them. Um, they're both truncated versions of the gospel. One doesn't care about the authority of the word, right? Because the authority they care about is the miracles and the yada, yada, yada. The other doesn't care much about the authority of the whole word of God. The application of God's law to all areas of life. So we have a problem in Africa. You have, you have people, thousands of people. This is true in the Congo. You have thousands of people who gather for crusades they try to somehow get the miracles and the healings, and they just line up for this stuff. And you get the guy in the microphone, and he's just miracle this, miracle that, yada, yada. Not, not biblical preaching at all. Just this prosperity nonsense. And then you have another group that are basically, they're just hunkered down, waiting to get zapped off the earth by God's magical zapping machine. 
that comes out from the sky. I call it the cosmic peekaboo. That's what they're waiting for. So you have ineffective Christians, essentially, all over the place. So Africa needs a second reformation. Africa needs the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom must advance. Now, one of the, one of the interesting things, I'll share this too. One of the interesting things, an observation that I made about how Zambians think about the Zambian government. First of all, when you talk about it, it's sort of like, <gasps> did, he, did he talk about that? So we, we talked about it a lot. <laughs> and so I think there was some uncomfortable stuff going on there. Now, <clears throat> technically speaking, Zambia is a Christian nation. It's in their constitution. It's actually pretty good. It's, a de- it's decent. It's good. Um, and I had heard that repeated over and over and over again. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Pastor Jason, we are a Christian nation. Oh, 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 we are a Christian nation. Our constitution says so. You hear it over and over again. The problem, however, (laughs) is the fact that the United Nations exists. So that's a whole problem in and of itself. And they exist to seek, kill, and destroy, essentially. And right now in Zambia, abortion is illegal except for the case of the life of the mother. So we talked about that. As abolitionists, we think that's compromise. It's a rejection. It's a rejection of the gospel. It's compromise. It's a slippery slope. And we reiterated that over and over and over and over and over again to the fact that the UN, this is what we warned them, the UN can come in with a $50 million grant, if you will. They'll dangle this carrot out in front of the government and say, look, this $50 million can be yours and your government can do whatever you want with it as long as you make abortion legal. That stuff happens. It just does. So in one of my talks, I, I reinforced that while there, you know, it says you're a Christian nation on paper, that's great. The reality is you're only as Christian as the people in it, in your government and in your nation. And so I, I told them not to take the cheese, as uh, Joel McDermott has been fond of saying. Don't take the cheese. You take the cheese, you lose a finger. The mousetrap gets you. Don't take the cheese. So this is all connected to Jeremiah's prophecy in Jeremiah 6. The people say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peace, peace. We have a Christian document. We're at peace. So you take the theological impotence and you couple that with this false assurance because of a piece of paper, and honestly, you get a recipe for disaster. And so we challenge them quite repeatedly on this matter. There's no time to take a nap, no time to put your feet up on the ottoman. We need men and women on the watchtower sounding the alarm. So just because you have a Christian document doesn't mean Jack. doesn't mean anything. Squat. Not you, Jack. (laughs) But alas, that type of thinking really doesn't exist. It doesn't really exist much at all in Zambia. Um, if it does, our team would be shocked to find out. So the question is, what's the, what's the social order of Zambia? What's the social order of Africa? What is happening? What is being produced? I'll tell you one thing. There is no vision for the future. There is no vision at all for the future. No vision at all. It does not exist in most of Africa. Um, if there are any businesses in Zambia that are thriving, they are done by foreigners. I was amazed to see how much the, by the way, there's a second um, colonialization that's happening. The Chinese are coming to Africa in droves. 
the Chinese are there building roads. The Chinese are there building hospitals. I can't tell you how many of these huge complexes, you know, they have a wall and it says China on it and Chinese is written on it and don't know what's going on behind it, but it's probably a construction zone of sorts. Um, they're all over the place. The Chinese are there. They're doing stuff. The best coffee shop we found, I guarantee you it's the best coffee shop in Zambia, which had, had detox juice, which was nice. <laughs> it was about a mile from our guest house. and It was awesome. Guess who owned it? This young lady from California. <laughs> She's married to a foreigner. I don't remember where he's from. Her parents died. And she has no reason to go back to California, so she's staying in Zambia running a coffee shop, and she's killing it. She's doing a lot of awesome stuff. Don't know if she's saved or not. She didn't seem to care much about why we were there, but, but go figure. See, Zambia, and this isn't just to pick on Zambia, because it's, it's a problem all over Africa, um, and it's a problem in our nation here. It lacks a, a coherent biblical social order. That's all it is. See... <laughs> So we took some taxis, and we got to know different taxi drivers. And let me tell you, every single taxi that we got into, guess what, was on E. And after a couple days, we started to notice that. I think Charles had already known, but it finally dawned on me. So every taxi ride we went on, the dollar goes very far there. So, you know, the taxi, I would sit down, and the first thing I would do is look at the gas gauge. Every single one of them was on E. We're talking dozens of taxis, different drivers and cars. Every single one of them was on E. No one plans ahead. There's no vision for the future. In fact, um, Charles had said to the one guy, look, do you want me to run your business for you? Because here's what you're doing. You're driving a few kilometers, putting two liters of petrol, gas in it, and then you take one trip, and then you got to stop again. They're stopping to, f- to put a little bit of gas, a little bit, every few kilometers. You're wasting time. You could be driving people somewhere and making money. So this guy took us seriously because the next time he came, his car was filled all the way. So we laughed at that too. That was quite humorous. So in Zambia, no one's on time. No one's on time. We were late for everything. Couldn't get a taxi to show up on time. There was one night, the church, the, the leadership training is supposed to start at 5. I don't think we started till like 7. And everybody's sitting there. People come in late. They just sort of, so the joke is, you know, Western time versus Zambian time. No one, no one plans ahead. No one has this vision for the future. It just doesn't exist. And I, you know, for me, I was like, whatever. I'm just going to go with the flow. Because if I was home, this would stress me out immensely. Um, rarely is someone trying to put together a business plan. Um, the work ethic that the Protestant Reformation had given Western civilization really honestly doesn't exist in much of Africa. There's not really a vision for that. Not, not many are sitting around thinking, I have this plan to expand this, I want to do this business and then I'm going to expand it over here. And it's just not the mindset. Um, one, one African said to one of my friends, this is the gospel we were given. This is the gospel we were given. That's what we were told. What a shame. I think, by and large, the African social order 
It doesn't have the rock-solid foundation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So you can put it on paper all you want, and if it isn't in the backbone of the people, it doesn't matter. So the UN could come in and railroad a nation in 30 days or less, easily if it wants to. So my last Sunday, we spoke to well over 400 university students, and one of the things I wanted to challenge them on was the biblical worldview, how to develop it, and so on. And, and one of the things, though, I challenged them to do was make sure that they don't leave their Bible at home. Make sure that whether you're studying math, one guy admitted he was studying math, which I thought was funny, out of the whole room. Who here is studying math? And the one guy sort of sheepish, oh, better you than me, because I don't care about that. Uh, whether it's math or politics, whatever the issue, education, the Bible is supposed to go with you. So I think overall it was a well-received message, and in my estimation, and I think in the estimation of others, they had never really heard such a thing. Never heard, a, never heard that such a, a concept, that the Bible applies to my area of study. Um, all of these university students, they're basically the future of that nation. Most of them are going to go on to work for the government. Most of them are going to get contracts to do sorts, those types of things. They're the best. They're the brightest. Um, they know English perfectly. I could speak just as fast as I was here tonight, and they understood. It was fantastic. Probably no better than most Americans, frankly, <laughs> the English language. So for us, Crossing Crown Church, that's what we're going after. We're going after the young ones. We are going after the next generation, the movers and the shakers. Um, we want to teach them how to apply the Bible to all areas of life, because I'll tell you this right now, it's not being taught in our nation, and it's not being taught much at all in Africa, save for a handful of people who think and understand it. And it's not going to be taught by the 15-year-old who goes with their Instagram picture and takes a selfie and think that they've just changed the world. It's not going to be taught. See, the missionary's job, the missionary's task is to change the conversation of a whole nation. We're discipling nations here. They're to, they're to take the rival humanistic order, point out its folly, and then point people to the true biblical one that we find in our text. That's their job. But it isn't going to happen until we do something about it. Not in this nation, not in that nation. So the kingdom must advance. Um, it's our problem to solve, amen? It is. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, I pray that we would be concerned about the things that concern you. Not, not that you are worried. Rather, may our thoughts and our prayers and our actions and meditations be bothered with the things that you intend to accomplish in your world. I mean, you, you've given us this huge task of discipling nations. And our nation right now is this bedraggled mess. So we need your help to change the conversation here. We know that you can do it by your Spirit's power, and we trust that you will use it. And we also need your help to disciple other nations. So I'm thankful, Father, for your grace and your mercy in this trip and in the future trips to come. May it be said of Cross and Crown Church that we were resolved to disciple nations. And we showed it, and we proved it, and we did it to have a passion for our neighbor, even on the other side of the globe. May that be said of us. We ask this humbly in Christ's powerful name. Amen.